Thanks so much for tuning in to the Mooney Ponds Baptist Church Podcast. Here we upload our weekly teachings that happen every Sunday at our 10 a.m. service. If we can help you in any way, feel free to reach out to us and check out our website at mpbc.org.au. I'm reading from Acts chapter 1 verse 1 to 11. In my former book, Theophilus, I write about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who had been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Thank you, Simeon, for reading that passage of scripture for us. The last words that people speak are often very significant. They often convey succinctly something important to them that they also want other people to hear. My dad told me while he was in hospital before he died that he actually didn't want me to go hang gliding or to buy a motorcycle to ride on the road. He wasn't just forbidding me from doing a couple of fun things. He was actually using his last words to to ask me to take care. He was actually wanting me to remain alive so that uh, I could take care of my mother. And he was asking me not to add any more pain to her life than his own early passing would bring. People's last words when they have an opportunity to express them, can be incredibly significant. They're often an expression of their priorities, their values, and their deep, deeply held convictions. In the epic war film Saving Private Ryan, Captain John Miller, played by Tom Hanks, is given an important task of finding a, sol- a soldier, Private James Francis Ryan whose three brothers had all been killed within a few days of each other. And his task was to bring him home so that his mother would be spared the grief of losing all four of her sons in one war. For this mission, uh, Miller chose seven men from his own company. But the mission that they were on turned out to be very costly and they made many mistakes along the way. When they did find Private Ryan, he was with a few other soldiers up on the front line protecting a strategic bridge in a small bombed out village. When Captain Miller tells Ryan that he has orders to take him away from the fighting so that he can go home to his mother, Ryan refuses. 
And so Miller and his seven men decide to stay and protect the bridge with Ryan and the few soldiers that were with them. This decision was very costly and although they fight valiantly, they're actually massively outnumbered and they're massively outgunned and which results in most of Miller's men dying. But just when you think it's all over and the bridge is about to be captured, reinforcements actually arrive and the battle for the bridge is won by the Allies. Captain Miller, though, he, he's actually mortally wounded. And in the, in, in the, uh, he's actually mortally wounded in the final moments of this battle to, to save the bridge. And he's there, propped, sitting propped up on the village when Private Ryan comes up to him and tries to tend his wounds. But Miller, knowing that he was dying, knowing that it was too late, he pulls Private Ryan close to him and he says to him, James, earn this. Earn it. And then Captain Miller died. The film then flashes forward 50 years to when Private James Ryan is actually visiting Captain Miller's war grave with his extended family. Many years have been added to Ryan's face by now and he's an old man and he's standing next to Miller's grave and he's remembering. He remembers what Miller said to him and then he begins to speak very softly over the grave as if he's addressing Captain Miller himself and he says, every day I remember what you said to me on that bridge. I've tried to live my life the best I could. I hope that it's enough. I hope that at least in your eyes, I've earned what you have all done for me. For Private James Ryan, the last words of the man who came to rescue him were a driving force in his life and they set the priority for how he would live the rest of his life. If it is true that people's last words are an expression of their priorities, their values, and their deepest held convictions, then I believe that we need to explore and discover Jesus' priorities for his followers by listening to his last words before he ascended to the Father. And his last words are some of those that we heard this morning uh, that we read in Acts chapter 1. So let me repeat the central words of this passage here, which, which says... But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. In the final words of Jesus that we just heard, he tells his followers three important priorities that he wants them to grasp and that he wants them to put into practice. And the first of these priorities is that his disciples will be Uh, witnesses. It's significant that in Jesus' last words, he doesn't tell his disciples that they should go and be evangelists or that they should go and be pastors or teachers. He tells them to be witnesses, witnesses to what they've seen, heard and experienced themselves. In a law court, uh, a witness is someone who is brought into a trial to tell the court what they have uh, seen and heard. They're actually not asked to give their own theories about what they think happened. They're not asked to suggest why people commit such crimes or even advice on how to avoid becoming a victim to that that crime in the future. 
The primary role of a witness is to tell the court their encounter of an event or a person and express this in their own words. I don't know about you, but I actually find that quite relieving and quite liberating because it is a role that actually all of us can play. A witness can be male or female, they can be young or old, they can even be middle-aged. They can be someone with little education or a person with many degrees and a lot of letters to their name. They can be rich or poor. They can be a person who is able to speak audibly or a person who can only communicate through a keyboard. The only qualification you need to be a witness is is this, that you've seen, heard or experienced something yourself and you're prepared to share that with others. Being a witness uh, is actually a role or the role that God had always wanted uh, the people of Israel to play to to the nations around them. They were supposed to declare in words and also in deeds uh, what God has done in their lives so that other nations would actually turn to God and glorify God and worship him themselves. They were meant to tell the story about how God had delivered them from slavery in Egypt, how God had been faithful to them, how God had helped them to become a cohesive people, how God had helped them find a place to live and call their own. Isaiah 43.10, the Lord says of Israel, or to Israel, You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. When Jesus tells his disciples to be witnesses, he's also wanting them to declare to others the good things that God has done. And these good things are good news. In his, in his uh, book, Simply Good News, Tom Wright says that many people today assume that Christianity is just a moral system of guidance or a, uh, or a philosophy to live by. And, and if you think like this, then it means that Christianity then is basically about getting advice on how to live and it's about giving advice to others. But Christianity has never been primarily about giving advice. The good news is something that has happened, that God has caused, and what he has done is resulting in the world becoming a different place. The good news is that what God has promised has come about. Jesus has become the king, and what he's doing is he's establishing God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And this is good news because Jesus as the king has tremendous consequences for the whole creation. In Jesus, God is dealing with sin. He's dealing with shame, injustice, alienation, brokenness. Through Jesus, God will also restore the creation that Paul said. Paul actually says in Romans is subjected to frustration and decay and which is groaning under the weight of sin but also groaning under the weight of our own recklessness as people. This means that our message to the world is is not like the bumper sticker that people used to put on the back of their cars which says, beam me up, Scotty, this planet sucks. It's as if the only good thing about Jesus coming is that actually we get a ticket out of here. But that's not true. In Jesus, God is redeeming people 
and reconciling all things to himself and he's actually making all things new as we read in Revelation 21.5. Jesus' call to his followers to be witnesses then doesn't end with those disciples. It's a role that we as followers of Jesus have today. The first disciples were told to tell others what they saw. They were eyewitnesses to Jesus' miracles, to his, to his teachings, to his death and also his resurrection. Our role is to tell other people what, those, uh, what they said, what they saw, but it's also to tell others our own experience of the resurrected Jesus in our own lives. It's not advice that people want to hear. It's not advice that people need to hear. What people need to hear are first-hand accounts of why Jesus is good news to you and the world in which we live. As an Australian working among the Yao in Malawi, I always found Yao Muslims very attracted to Jesus. They often wanted to hear about Jesus. Wendy and I worked with the Yao for 24 years. And during this time, we hardly ever encountered anyone who didn't want to hear about Jesus and what Jesus came to do. But despite many Yao being attracted to Jesus, only a few Yao in the very beginning of our ministry believed our message about Jesus. This is because they didn't think that Jesus could actually be good news for them. You see, we were foreigners, many of our, and many of the Yao thought that, that as foreigners we wouldn't experience the same things they've experienced on a daily basis. They didn't think we'd experience fear or jealousy or anger or lust or bitterness as they do. And so the good news of Jesus, or the good news that Jesus is making all things new, that Jesus is, is, uh, his work is enabling God to forgive us, and reconciling us and transforming us, it didn't speak to them. But when one or two Yao came to experience Jesus themselves, it changed everything. It changed the direction of our ministry. The, the good news then wasn't something that only foreigners experienced and spoke about. It actually became something that, they, that could be seen changing and transforming people who were just like them. This is what happened to my friend uh, Wind, whose life was radically transformed by encountering Jesus. He was a guy who, uh, when I met him, was separated from his wife and his child. He is, uh, and this is no secret, and he tells people he is HIV positive and was then. He was basically directionless in his life until he encountered Jesus, and Jesus became good news to him. Today, Wine witnesses to who Jesus is and what he has done in his own life. He's not well educated. He only completed one year of primary school. But other Yao listen to him because he's telling them about what he knows and what he's experienced himself. And he tells them that Jesus is indeed good news for him. Friends, I think this is, that this is actually what Australians need. This is what our Aussie friends and relatives and work colleagues need and neighbours as well. They don't want a preacher or a pastor to tell them about Jesus. They want, what people want today is for someone who is just like them 
to tell them that Jesus is good news in their life. In 2 Corinthians 5, 19 and 20, Paul tells the Corinthians that God has entrusted them with the message of reconciliation and that God is making his appeal to people through them. Paul is, is here is echoing, I believe, Jesus' words who told the disciples that they are the ones who will take the kingdom forward by being witnesses of the good news. The second priority uh, that Jesus expresses in his last words are about the power, about where the power comes from that we need to be witnesses of the good news. The uh, first followers of Jesus were hardly an impressive bunch. In Acts 4.13, two of the elders or two of the early leaders, Peter and John, were described as uneducated, ordinary men by some of the uh, Jewish leaders in Jerusalem. Uneducated, well, you know, that can't be helped. But ordinary, being called ordinary, ouch, that really hurts. But, but, that is, but this is the thing about being a witness. You don't need to be a Rhodes Scholar. You just have to be able to tell people what you've seen and experienced. And a lot of us do this already on, on the social platforms we use. We use on Facebook, Instagram, uh, we were already doing this. But some of us, though, might be sharing a little bit of being, might be doing a little bit of oversharing, uh, but we're already doing some of this stuff already. What is key, though, is being a, what is key, though, in being able to be a witness of the good news is actually the presence of the Holy Spirit in a person's life. This, according to Jesus, is actually the essential component of being able to witness for Jesus adequately. The Holy Spirit, according to Jesus, is not an ad on extra or something for super spiritual people, but, it, but the Holy Spirit is the needed presence of God in a, in, in a person's life. The commentator Alexander McLaren says that these 11 uh, poor disciples were not left by Jesus uh, with a hard task and no help to do it. He told them to actually wait for the promised Holy Spirit whom he had mentioned while he was with them. It's important for us to notice in this verse, in, in Acts chapter 1-8, to, to, for us to notice the order of what Jesus commands and promises. Knowing how weak his followers were, Jesus actually doesn't say anything about being a witness to all that God has done until he's actually told them to wait for the Holy Spirit who will fill them with the power to do it. And this is what we see happen in the book of Acts. Timid, poorly educated, ordinary people, there's that word again, stand up in front of large crowds of people and tell the good news of what God has done and what God is doing in them at that time. People who were uneducated began teaching the overeducated from scriptures and they were very convincing. We also hear that some of the followers of Jesus uh, went to other places outside of Jerusalem and, Israel, and outside of Israel to people who were religiously and culturally different to them and told them what, the, what great things God has done for them. And they actually believed them and encountered Jesus themselves. What Luke wants us to understand in his book of Acts from the very beginning, is that it's not actually the people who are the main driving force in the work that's being done. 
It's, it is the Holy Spirit who is empowering them and guiding them to do all these things. And again, as I read this and as I hear this, I find this a very relieving and freeing uh, thought because it means that it's not generated from me, but it's something that, that God is going to empower me to do. It is the Holy Spirit who changed the disciple Peter, who was afraid uh, in the last uh, hours when Jesus was uh, being arrested. He was afraid of a young girl who asked him if he had been with Jesus before his death. It changed him to be someone who could stand up in front of a crowd of 3,000 people on the day that the Holy Spirit descended on on the crowd in Jerusalem and speak powerfully to them about what God was doing and what God had done. It's the same Holy Spirit who propelled that group of 120 believers into the world to be witnesses of the good news from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. It's the same Holy Spirit who is at work in my friend Wind and other Yao believers today who are bearing witness to the good news about Jesus who is changing their lives. And friends, it is the same Holy Spirit who will guide us and give us the power to be witnesses today to our friends and our relatives and our colleagues and neighbours as we rely on him as well. The third priority in Jesus' last words that we need to understand is that our witnessing is to be to the ends of the earth. From the very beginning, God has a desire to be in relationship with people from every ethnic community in the world. In God's call to Abraham in Genesis 12 too, he tells Abraham that through him, God will bless all the families of the earth, meaning every ethnic group. The followers of Jesus continued uh, to have limited understanding about the extent of what God was doing even after Jesus' resurrection. That's why they ask in Acts chapter 1, verse 6, if the giving of the Holy Spirit was a sign of God restoring Israel's glory. You see, they, they still didn't get it. They still thought that what God was doing was just for Israel and not for the rest of the world. In the Old Testament, uh, the idea of mission was that uh, people would come, come into Jerusalem and see the glory of God and worship God. But in the New Testament, people are energised to go out of Jerusalem to share the glory of God with others. And so the mission of God uh, pushed the followers of Jesus out of Jerusalem, out of Israel and to, out to the ends of the earth. The turning point of the missionary agenda of God's people is actually the resurrection of Jesus and the giving of the Holy Spirit. This is because after the giving of the Holy Spirit, the dwelling place of God is no longer seen as being in the temple in Jerusalem. But the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, now dwells actually in his people, in the believers themselves and in each of us who trust and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, it was understood that that it was only really the, uh, the returning Jews 
from the other nations who would worship God in Jerusalem. But what we see here in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, is Jesus actually is telling his disciples to go to the ends of the earth with the good news. And what, is, what he means here is that their witness is not just for Jewish people who are living in other places, but it is a witnessing to who God is, what God has done, and what God is doing to the people from every language and every culture throughout the world. But it's actually not until chapter 10 in the book of Acts when Cornelius, a Roman, uh, Roman officer, a Roman commander in the Roman army and his household repent and receive the Holy Spirit, that the first followers of Jesus realise that the ends of the earth is actually not primarily a geographic location from which Jews come. They came to understand that the ends of the earth means to go to every ethnic and religious community in the world. John, in the book of Revelation, uh, gives us a picture of what God has always intended. In, verse, in chapter 7, verse 9, when he writes of the vision that he had when he was standing actually before the throne of God at the summation of the age. He, uh, he says, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people and language, standing before the throne and before the, and before the Lamb. This vision of the nations, of, of the ethnic groups will, who will come to worship God, this is, this is actually a vision of, of the nations, of the ethnic groups that are going to come and worship the Lamb at the end, at the summation of the age. And they come from every group and not just from, uh, from, the, people, from the tribe of Israel. If Jesus' last words are his priority for his first followers of Jesus and also for us, what do we need to adjust in our thoughts and in our actions so that Jesus' priorities become our priorities? The book of Acts is one of the most exciting stories that's ever been told. From start to finish, we hear that everything in the believers' lives changed because of the good news that they'd heard and received and experienced. We read that the believers met together to pray, to worship and to learn from Scripture so that they could understand all that God had done and was doing in Jesus. We read that they had radical love for others. They no longer saw their possessions as their own but sold them, began to share with people in need. They welcomed strangers and outsiders. They actively cared for the poor. They practiced forgiveness. They practiced servant leadership and they approached conflict and their social responsibilities in a manner that was completely revolutionary for that time. They didn't have the power to do this themselves, but we read that it was due to the Holy Spirit in them that these things happened. Tom Holland, uh, a Christian historian, tells us just how radical the attitudes and activities of these early Christians must have appeared when they were actually compared to the general attitude and practices found in the Roman Empire at that time. Let's, let's listen to a clip uh, where Tom Holland speaks. 
The good news of Jesus orientated, reorientated Jesus' followers to Jesus' priorities and to sharing who Jesus is and being Jesus' hands and feet in the power of the Holy Spirit to the ends of the earth. Paul tells us that the entire creation has been waiting eagerly for this day to arrive, for the revealing of Jesus and also for the children of God so that we, so that we can be Jesus' good news people in the world today. How does the good news impact us and our Christian family so that we, uh, so that we are witnesses of this good news about Jesus today and the community in which we live. Australia is a very fortunate country and uh, in many, many ways. But according to social researchers, uh, Australians identify as our biggest issues as things like the environment, the cost of living, unemployment and social issues, including family breakdown and family violence. Also, uh, the social commentator... Um, Social commentator Hugh Mackay says that many Australians are fearful uh, and live with high levels of anxiety and stress. People feel also isolated and lonely and desperate, which have all, all been exasperated at this time during the COVID-19 pandemic. So the question is, how could, how could the good news of Jesus create an alternative reality for many Australians who are living daily with these issues for many, people, for many of these people, these are our neighbours and our colleagues and our relatives. How could we, as a group of Christians living here in the Mooney Valley and surrounding suburbs, be demonstrating and announcing the good news so that it could bring about change in the communities in which we live? Mooney Ponce Baptist has a long history of demonstrating and announcing the good news in our community. I was looking at uh, some historical records this week uh, that span more than 100 years of, our, of the life of our church, which Donna Boyd has actually laid out in the back hall uh, in our church. And as I was looking at these historical records, two things really stood out to me. The first is that there was, uh, there was an incredible uh, investment by our church family over many years to engage with new migrants who are in our community. Many years ago, people in this church had a vision uh, for this work and they engaged with people who were different to themselves and they helped them in practical ways. They provided transport to and from church. They translated the messages uh, of the sermons each week into multiple languages. They translated Bible studies and they incorporated these people into our family. I reckon this was... This was pretty radical stuff for its time in Australian history. This church was involved in helping a number of these communities also establish new churches in different locations. And I'm not just talking about helping one ethnic community, I'm talking about several. They helped Vietnamese uh, establish a Vietnamese congregation, Khmer, uh, Filipino, Spanish-speaking congregations, also an English-speaking congregation in other places in Melbourne. The other aspect that I saw was our witness uh, that stood out for me was our witness um, of demonstrating the good news for more than 20 years has been through the food pantry and through providing meals 
to, uh, to people who are less fortunate than ourselves. On Monday evenings, uh, for many years now, bet- between 30 and 50 people who face financial hardship and who struggle in many ways are shown love by this church in very practical ways by people cooking for them, serving them, eating meals with them, conversing with them over the meal. We also give our care packages of food on a weekly basis to many people in need. I look to our past and who we currently are and I want to throw out a challenge to to us this morning. These are tremendous works and these are tremendous ways that we have witnessed to the good news of God in our community and these have been led by the Holy Spirit and we've been empowered to do these things by the Spirit. But I want to, I want to actually say this morning that we should not live in the past. If we are to continue to be good news people today, then we need to be continually discovering afresh how to demonstrate and how to announce the good news of Jesus in our community today. We need to hear together Jesus' words that he is sending us out as witnesses to the ends of the earth. He's sending us to people who are not like us socially, economically. He's sending us to people who are not like us religiously or linguistically, morally, or even in lifestyle choices. But he's sending us not to give them primarily advice, not to tell them off, but to announce the good news that there is a king and his name is Jesus and he is changing everything. It is Jesus who gives us the power to love, power that we don't naturally have ourselves. He is the one who gives us power to be forgiven and the power to forgive others. He is the one who gives us the power to even forgive ourselves. He gives us power to enjoy the other who is different to us, power to be reconciled with our enemies and with God, power to be transformed, power to have hope and peace in this life and also for the next. Let us commit today together to seek God over the coming weeks and months and to listen to the Holy Spirit so that we can be witnesses of the good news both individually and together as a church family in this community and to the ends of the earth. Amen. Let's pray together. Father God, I want to thank you for your word. Thank you that uh, your word tells us uh, what your priorities are. And not only priorities of what you want us to do, but it tells us how we are to do those things. We don't have the strength or the power or the inclination to do many of those things that you call us to. But we know that you, through your spirit, can empower us to do the things you want us to be doing. I pray, Lord, that you would give us fresh visions for our community. Help us to discover how we are to be salt and light in the community in which we live. Help us to discover how we are to be witnesses to the community around us who are suffering in so many ways. Help us to know that individually to our neighbours, colleagues, relatives, but also corporately and um, together to the community as a whole. We look forward to you guiding and leading us in this and we pray that you would do that for us and for your sake and for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.